Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Leotis Johnson. And I'm Brianka Wright. And this is another episode of Higher Unlearning. The space where we analyze and reflect different concepts and structures which affect blackness. So, as always, uh, we have a quote to go with our episode. But to give you all in just a general overview of what we will be talking about today, we're talking about the achievement gap. Um, We'll define what the achievement gap is, all that stuff, but let's get into this quote first. So the quote is, we have a potential power in our youth, and we must have the courage to change old ideas and practices so that we may direct their power towards good ends by Mary McLeod Bethune. You know, lovely, beautiful, intelligent Miss Dr. Bethune got her own school. Shout out to BCU. Another achievement gap. All right, first talk about this quote, right? Why this mm-hmm. quote, why do you feel like this quote aligns with the idea of the achievement gap? <clears throat> uh, the achievement gap, in my own definition, the achievement gap is a accumulation of different barriers, which allows for certain students to be able to excel while it limits the ability of other students. And within this quote, She's saying that in order for our youth to really tap into the totality of their potential, us as adults have to be able to mold and change the practices that are being placed on them, specifically within education, so that they are able to tap into that. And if we are continuing to practice um, different policies or structures that are going to continue to limit them, then they're never going to be able to tap into their full power. Yeah, um, I see I see the gap itself being like a gap between reality and dreams. You you know, the award I won and I do that speech and the award the is people don't know. Hold on. Wait, wait, wait. The people no. don't know. <laughs> no, no. All right. Whatever. Um, <laughs> so the, the academic nonprofit um, I worked for, we worked for is a national nonprofit actually also have some chapters in like South Africa and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But every year, every chapter or every site selects a core member of the year um, within their own site. And then, so it's what about like 25, 30, somewhere between 25, 30 different different sites across like from between all the sites. So then from those 25 to 30 people, the national headquarters, they select one individual to be the bridge to win the bridge builder award who is like the core member of the year like of the nation right um so what it was 2017 2018 i won that award uh and so the award itself is called the bridge builders award and i had to give this speech in front of all these people and the whole time i was thinking about what type of bridges was i a part of building to be like be able to receive this award and I said in my speech that the bridge that I was working to like build is the bridge like to fill the gap between reality and dreams. Because a lot of our kids have this idea or this dream of what they want to be, of what success looks like, what achievement looks like, this idea, this this dream, right? Um, but a lot of times their reality does do not reflect what's beneficial for them or even accessible to them to be able to reach that dream. So I felt like Yes, within that space, but also just in general in the work that I do, my job is to help build that 
gap or build that bridge across the gap to help them get to make their reality turn into their dreams. And that mm-hmm. I feel like goes with this quote where like when you're feeding into youth, you're empowering them, um, you're giving them resources, you're able to help them get over to that gap to make their reality reflect the dream that they have of, of what success looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's very important to understand that when the first portion where she's saying we have the potential power in our youth, that power is already within that child, but in order for them to be able to unlock it and be able to, even before unlocking it, realizing it for themselves, us as adults have to reaffirm like, hey, you can do this. This is a possibility for you. These are the different options that you can, that you could potentially achieve. And going back to, um, I think that was like the first episode or maybe second where you were talking about that little boy never hearing that, oh, you could have been the president. Yeah. What? But the responsibility of being able to help them tap into that power is on the adult. And if we don't cultivate it, if we don't nurture it, then it's literally just lost potential. Oh, that's It so really sad. is. It is. And the thing is, there's not enough people who are properly doing that. Because yeah. everyone, like all kids, adults, have potential for good and bad. Whatever is fed into, whatever is tapped into is what, you, what becomes, what comes to reality. So if someone, right. if a child is in a environment that fosters and kind of reinforces what some people might feel like are negative behaviors or um, negative ideologies, things like that, that's what they're going to become. That's going to be that bridge that's going to be like that's going to be built. It's going to be mm-hmm. built on these these negative at- attributes. That's the potential that's being fed into. Versus, it takes someone else or something different, something to tap in into like. But look at this, what you could do. Look at this beauty that right. you can tap into. Like the same thing that makes you successful in these negative like spaces can literally make you successful in, in this other whole nother realm. It's just, you, you have to get past, it's, it's a lot, kids build up a lot of facades, there's a lot of walls, um, which discourages adults from work. It takes adults to work harder for them, for the kids at the beginning at least. Like the kid have to like the adults have to be there and they have to see past all of that. And that's where the hard work comes in. Because it's easy to write off that kid is bad. That kid, you know, his lifespan is already written out for him. He already going down the wrong track. That's easy. The hard is to look in the potential of all of that and then tap try to tap into the potential past all the others, the fences and the fit like all the stuff that's built up around it. It's also a matter of when you step into that child's life though, because yes, a part of childhood is kind of testing boundaries and, you know, kind of being defiant towards authority and things of that nature. But if you're able to reach a child before they had the opportunity to build up those walls, mm-hmm. um, before they've been exposed to anything that may have been somewhat traumatic or detrimental to their potential growth, then it's a lot easier to be able to tap into them. But I will say for the students or even the children that do already have those walls, once you're able to kind of, I wouldn't say completely tear it down, but even just take Mm -hmm. off like one little layer of it and you really like make that connection with them, you're in their heart for forever. Like you got them. All you you need is because... With you saying that, I immediately think about the work that we do. We get them on the on the, the later end of things. Like they're pretty much almost adults by the time we get them. Um right. so 
they have their defenses. They got their brick walls, you know, the fences up. They got the guard dolls. They are ready to like not let anyone. And it's funny because well, when you're thinking, I, I literally seen the images of a brick wall and it's not a layer of the brick wall. It's the different bricks that's taking mm-hmm. off. And we get the brick, we, like one of the first bricks that we get to take down is the one where you can see me eye to eye. And now that we have that connection, we see each other. You now are starting to to move the other bricks out the way, but you have to make that connection first. Right. Let's tie this into education and mm-hmm. the achievement gap. We understand that there's so much potential and there's so much power in youth and the people who have the most contact with them outside of their family are educators, right? Yeah. So going to the foundation, let's start with the mission statement. So the mission statement of the U.S. Department of Education is to promote student achievement and preparation for global competitiveness by fostering educational excellence and ensuring equal access. There's multiple parts of that is that is pure BS. (laughs) Like that's it's just like pure unadulterated just BS. Like that's not what y'all do. Like that's just not. I don't know what reality y'all living in. I don't know, like, you know what? I don't know what reality y'all living in. It's, <laughs> it's just not ours. Like, it's not no. the reality of our kids. It's not the reality of, like, some of our parents. Like, it's just it's not, not our reality. But it was, there's just so many parts of that you literally could promote what? Student achievement. What does achievement look like? Right. Like, right. It literally, you could break down each part, like, achievement. Oh, I did. I understand. I did. (laughs) Break down down achievement. All right. So if achievement for white kids look like, you know, going to college, building careers, the starting to develop like generational wealth that's already been founded for them. If that's what achievement looks like for them, but for achievement for like for black kids or kids who live in like a title, who go to title one schools, if achievement for them literally is just graduating, the standards are different. Like, what you're trying to push them and prepare them for and to achieve is different. Well, I looked at it a little different. I looked at promoting student achievement and preparing them for global competitiveness. I saw that as both of those having the same standard, regardless of where you go to school, regardless of the resources, Mm -hmm. your, your family background, all of that stuff is, it doesn't matter. Because you're going to achieve and we're going to prepare you for global competitive, like to be a competitive citizen within this world. The part that I broke down because I really wanted to understand what does it mean to foster educational excellence and ensure equal access? Because I feel like those two portions, I see this in four sections. Mm -hmm. Those two sections are the ones where it's really easy to kind of live in like that gray area. So... Those were the two sections that I really focused on because achievement and global competitiveness. Yes, there is room for subjectivity, but if you're achieving, you're achieving. And if you're, if I'm going to say that I'm preparing you for to be a competitive citizen, that means I'm giving you all the tools you need to be able to thrive. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's not it's, a lot of gray area in that. The gray area comes from like who is in mind when you're saying this. Mm-hmm. That's for me, that's just the biggest thing because I feel like when this was initially written, when this was initially like thought of and put down as what our mission is for the US Department of Education, yeah, it's not in the mindset of one brown and black children, mm-hmm. and then two, 
poor children. I they're not. That's so. What I'm thinking. I'm thinking of the schools that just some of the schools that I've been able to work within, where their goal was literally to get the kids to graduate. Mm-hmm. Versus other schools I've been able to be in, where their goal is to get the kids to graduate through college. So it's it's a diff. My grade, I guess, goes to like the level of competition that they're preparing them for. Some people are are preparing them for literally to for global and like longevity or just a wider range of competition where mm-hmm. another set of uh, a subset of of kids or whatever they're only preparing them to get out of high school so it's like it's just like you report the the different tools that you give to someone who you're preparing for like a bigger fight if i'm preparing you for the, like the nfl like right. truly preparing you i'm going to like the, everything i give you is going to be top notch right but if i'm only preparing you for for uh like street ball like, I'm gonna I'm make sure your knees are strong. I'm gonna make sure, <laughs> like, you got the callus on your feet. Like, I'm my preparation for you is gonna look different because I'm not trying to pour all into my resources into you if I'm not trying to make you that type of competitor. I felt personally attacked when you said that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but that brings me to what's kind of been a huge debate. So, for a long time, this has been called the achievement gap, but lately I've been hearing people kind of shifting towards opportunity gap. And I feel like you touched on that saying like, what level of achievement am I really preparing you for? But also within me preparing you for whatever level you're striving to reach, do you actually have the opportunities presented to you to be Mm -hmm. able to reach those levels of achievement? So do you see it as truly an achievement gap or is it more of an opportunity gap? I don't know. I feel like they're kind of intertwined in regards, like what I mean is... I will give you more opportunities because I see you have more potential to achieve at a higher level. So that's, I, I don't know, like that's the, I guess that's how I see it is like, I will give you more opportunities because I feel like you can, you will achieve, you accomplish these opportunities more, which is this like, do you, it's like the whole what's come first, the chicken or the egg type of thing. Is it the lack of belief that you can achieve or is it the lack of opportunity that causes you not to achieve? Like, it's just like, what comes first type of thing for me. Okay. In order to present someone with opportunity, like if I'm wanting to Mm -hmm. be able to present opportunities to you, I first have to have access to them. So if we're basing it off of the fact of people being able to bring opportunities to these, to youth, Mm -hmm. if the educators in the school don't have the resources, if the community themselves doesn't have the resources, what opportunity can I really give you outside of what you could potentially achieve? Yeah. Your achievement would have to take you to those opportunities. Mm-hmm. I feel like in the, like achieve the, you know, the success stories of like, just in regards how they always want to pull up, like, Oh, you know, this black person or this athlete, whatever they came from this, you know, this poor neighborhood, this poor school, but you know, despite all, you know, they, they did X, Y, and Z. Oprah is always used like coming from like a, a poor background and then now she's one of the richest individuals as like oh black people can do it type of thing right it's there's a level of achievement that will push you past what's expected of you right mm-hmm. so go, using oprah like th- th- she was not expected to be able to successfully be like to be on tv um or right. to like have the career they literally limit they, they try to limit her to whatever like they saw of of a black woman at that time 
Like, mm-hmm. you know, you you do a couple interviews, you do, you can work for whatever, but they didn't see her like literally on her own network, have her own show, da 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 da. She had to achieve past what other people expected of her, which mm-hmm. opened up more opportunities for her. Um, so that's why I say it's it's kind of I feel like there's arguments on both sides in regards to like, are we the achievement opportunity for achievement is there, but the like the resources are lacking, or the argument on the other side, the one I was making earlier, where it's like people only give opportunity to people who they feel like can achieve. Mm-hmm. Um, because what's it, Doctor Phil? Not a feeling you have to do all this stuff over did. Like, just to be nice and just to keep it cute. You know, not a feeling you have to do everything that Oprah did in regards to getting to the position that he's in. Um, mm-hmm. But as a white man, they probably see him as, they probably see him being able to achieve easier. They, they probably, like, achievement or, like, success, their image of success was more likely for a Dr. Phil than it was for an Oprah. Mm-hmm. So, it, like between the achievement, and that's the biggest. That's the biggest. I feel like argument in regards to like poverty, like argument against poverty, is that oh, everyone has the same access, everyone has the same opportunities. Like if this person could do it, everybody can do it. Like that's one of the biggest arguments in general against the idea of poverty. As if people who are in poverty is making a day to day choice that I'm gonna live impoverished for my whole life, right? I think what people don't understand is I actually I'm I'm about to take something that I, I heard from someone else and kind of mold it to fit what I want mm-hmm. to say. So this person originally was talking about them being gay and how whenever other people have an issue with them being gay, it's like, well, what do you want me to do with what do you want me to do about it? Like, I'm gay. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I can't change that. <laughs> um, and the way that he broke it down was, can I change the fact that I'm black? I'm literally born that way, same way that I was born gay. Now, this may be a bit of a stretch, but we're born into different opportunities. We're born into certain social economic statuses. And while, yes, there is opportunity for us to be able to move and be able to change the stars for us, a lot of those stars are already kind of like in place. And if we aren't able to either interact with people who have resources that we can tap into, or if we aren't able to, like you said, achieve past our current circumstances, we are born into and stuck in Mm -hmm. those different statuses. And thinking about this achievement gap, opportunity gap, whatever you want to call it, is literally a direct reflection of what I was just explaining, being born into something. and, And if you don't know better, you don't do better type of thing. Yeah, like, so in preparation for this video, we always, well, for all our videos, we, like, we go to YouTube, we watch a whole bunch of dif- different things that relate to the topic, um, we do our own research, um, so one of the videos that we watch in preparation for this video, it, it's like a little animation, and it talks about uh, systemic racism, mm-hmm. but we felt like it applied because it literally talks about the gap in the separation between, oh, uh, it used a white family and a black family, like two two kids who they lived a couple streets apart, but because of their neighborhoods and the situation that they were born into, that they didn't have their opportunities or their achievement looks different, right? Mm-hmm. And it literally talks about literally the generational effects of it all. Like they say, how the white the white family back like his family were able to like get the loans to buy a house and be able to go to college to get their degrees like generationally like 
count back multiple generations of college educated, college graduate individuals. So it was nothing was expected less of the child when he graduated from high school to do. Like that, that foundation's already set for you. You was born into that. You was born into that legacy of of like of I guess succeeding. Versus the other character, which they named him Jamal, and honestly, it was for educational purposes. But Jamal, whatever, <laughs> you know. The, <laughs> but the the black kid, they pretty much showed how you know how different systems, such as like redlining and the neighborhood he lived in, how that neighborhood affects the resources that went into his school. Um, like him growing up in a poor neighborhood, you know, now the school is funded from by the poor neighborhood, meaning the school is lacking funding, how all of these different factors played into him as an individual being one of the few who able to graduate from his high school and then go to a top tier school. Mm-hmm. And it like it starts before us. It's something like you said, you born into and it takes a diff- it takes a different type of mindset that you have to be introduced to. And to expose to, to really start to, I guess, adventure within. I don't know. That's, I guess, it's the opportunity versus access. They say, every, I, I used to say, everyone has the opportunity to do it, but everyone doesn't have access to it. Mm-hmm. So everybody has the opportunity to be president. You know, we all can do whatever to be president, but we don't have the access to it. A lot of people don't even have the access to the possibility that they could be president. Right. Within education, there is one narrative that is being told. And it's not the narrative that looks like you <laughs> or myself. And at least for me, one of the, the main factors that really influenced my education was the fact that I saw my mom. My mom has a PhD. But thinking about someone who may not have had anyone in their family have gone to college or even leave where they live, you know, they, everyone's just in the same city. If you're going to school and you're not hearing about people who look like you, who have been able to invent different things, who have reached monumental heights, how would you know that you could potentially do it? So when I was preparing for this, I wanted to really look into like, who are some Black inventors or even African inventors that Mm -hmm. aren't really highlighted? Um, So some of these I already knew about, some of them I didn't, but some of the ones I wanted to mention to you all are... Marie Van Britten Brown, who in 1966 created the home security system. Home security, like the fact that like you open mm-hmm. your house, you're like, beep, beep, like <laughs> your home is secure. A black woman. That woman. A black man by the name of Garrett Morgan in 1923, he invented the three light traffic light and the mm-hmm. gas mask. Alexander Miles in 1887 automated elevator doors the fact that the door closes by itself because before then people were either falling out of the elevator or Mm -hmm. they were getting smushed in in the door as someone was trying to close it like little simple things being able to solve these issues the fact that we have blood banks charles drew the fact that we have laser surgical devices patricia bath and just thinking about all of these different People who are not talked about. Some of these I knew, but majority of them mm-hmm. I didn't, you know? And it's going back to what we're talking about, how adults are able to cultivate that power within youth. One of my friends, um, she is actually on the tracks of becoming a doctor right now. And even though this situation happened while we were in college, which is later on in life, someone straight up told her, like, 
yeah, you're you're not going to be able to do this. You should really think about changing your major. And to think that she almost didn't do it. Like she really strayed away from it for a while, not because of what that person said, but what that person said still sticks with her to this day. And it's what, like six, six years later. So to think that the most subtle things, someone telling you you can do something, someone telling you about people before you who have reached the heights that you are wanting to reach is so important to you being able to achieve it yourself because you know that the opportunity is there. Yeah. And that's, I feel like it's so sad that so many like black people have had some type of a story when someone told them that they could not do what they wanted to do. Like the mm-hmm. image or this ideal that they, they felt like I want to do this. They told them that I, it's, I feel like it's too common. It's too common that someone's telling them that they can't do it. Like it's mm-hmm. too common that someone's telling like a little black boy, a little black girl that you sure you want to do that? You sure you don't want to just go play sports, you know, right. or do hair or like, like they try to minimize what they can do in success instead of going out into these different spaces. And it's like, while the, while that person or while that exact thing might not be the, like cause you to hinder, it's a constant reminder that this person felt like this. And also this is not, this is probably not the only person and don't mm-hmm. let it be from a teacher. Cause teachers have a hold a very special place in like kids lives. So if a teacher tell you, you like, dang, like, yeah, can I really not do that? Like, you know, this person see me work every day. I'm, I'm in class for eight hours a day. Like, like I'm in this building, in this space for this long. And if this, if this person have this much access to me and this, all they can see, is this all that it is, there is of me? That's all I am. That's all I am. And it's literally what you speak into kids is what they grow into. Um, my high school had a pre-law program. And one of our pre-law program was, was named after a black attorney who ended up like going off to be a judge. Um, his family used to come and like come speak to us all the time. And that was a huge, that was a huge thing for me because I was like, I had the idea as a kid, like, yes, I want to be a lawyer. But until those moments where you literally sitting and you meet with black attorneys, like my teachers were literally black attorneys. So like you meet with black attorneys, um, you're going to the courthouse, you're seeing black judges. Um, I met the president of the Bar Association in Palm Beach County was a black man. And he actually told us, he was like, next year, I want you at the front table by the stage. Having those moments literally point into you like, oh, bet. All these, I'm in a room full of black attorneys and black people like. I can do this too. And I'm so grateful because I really, really feel that without those opportunities in high school, I would not be in law school now uh, just because I wasn't, that wasn't my environment. Like literally my, my, my high school had magnet programs, which exposed kids to different things. But if you weren't in the magnet program, you didn't get those exposures. Mm-hmm. So being in that program allowed me to see things that literally my other classmates, my friends, my neighbors, people who literally lived next door to me or were in the same class in me, like in other classes did not see. They didn't have that same opportunity that they didn't see see those same images. And we need to pull away from the select child or the right child to pour into. I wanted to look into what research was already being done when it came, when it comes to closing the achievement gap. And I found a study that was done by Shannon Bell um, with American American University. And she said there were three main factors that help specifically Black students Mm -hmm. be able to achieve more in school. 
And those three factors were increased parental involvement, participation in extracurricular activities, and the encouragement of their interest in higher education. And when I saw these three things, I thought back to a paper that I wrote when I was an undergrad. I actually researched the different high schools in Leon County. And the main things that I was looking at was what was the school letter grade? What was their proficiency rates in uh, reading and math? And how many extracurriculars did they have? And what type of variations of extracurriculars did they have? And I noticed that for the schools that had the higher proficiency rates, the schools that had the higher letter grades, they had like 40 something extracurriculars just provided by the school. And of those 40, they had activities that cater to the arts. They had activities that cater to academics, to sports. So if you had an interest in something or if you needed more assistance in something relating to your academics, you could achieve it. Whereas the lower performing schools, they had limited extracurricular activities and they of those activities, majority of them were sports. And if they had anything related to academics, it was mostly like ACE or uh, SAT and ACT prep. So to think that money usually goes to those schools who are better performing, like schools are literally pushing to be a school so that they can get more funding. But the, the schools and the students who are really in need of those dollars are the ones at the lower performing schools. Like, why would you deprive someone of food when they're telling you that they're hungry? They're showing you that they are mm-hmm. in need. But yet you look at them and be like, yeah, sorry, guys, you're still going to get the same amount you got last year. Or even better yet, we're cutting some of your funds because you didn't reach the scores that we were expecting for you. It's, it's a business and it's the investment. It's going back into, I will pour into you because I see that you can do it type of thing. Mm-hmm. Like you've already proved to me. It's, 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 a, it's literally a, a lot of people who run the schools and who write curriculum and, and do all the things, never stepped in a classroom, never right. like major in education or like had work with kids. They are coming from a business mindset and they're just with, with your business. I will invest in stock that I see is potential, that's going to potential to make me wealthy. That's going to come back to me. Those schools, those Title I schools, lower performing schools, do not have that, they don't see that potential in regards to of a comeback, of a profit. So that's why there's so many. I remember in Jacksonville, there was literally like a line of schools that they just started closing. Like mm-hmm. they just started closing because they were underperforming. And then kids had to go somewhere else. But just because you close the school don't mean now those kids can perform better when they go to this new school. And then if they behave like then like their behavior start going like going bad or like, you know, whatever, then they're being punished, sent to alternative schools. Cause now I'm a, I'm not gonna let you ruin my school that I worked hard to get my A for or whatever. I'm gonna kick you out and take you put you in this in this alternative school, alternative education mm-hmm. where I felt like you would be able to like excel. You can achieve in this space because that's more for you type of thing. Mm-hmm. So, but going back to those three things, I, as you were saying that, I was trying to think of like reflecting on my like upcoming in education. Mm-hmm. How how much did those three things apply to my education, right? Or like my mm-hmm. educational career? How much those three things were present? Family, parent involvement. I'm a first generation college student or college graduate. 
So from a young age, my parents was on it. My parents used to elementary school. I remember them sitting with me, helped me do my homework until it got to the point that the homework got hard, too hard. <laughs> but they still would make me sit down and like have a time where like they would make sure I had that structure to do my work. If I need help, they'll tell me to go to tutoring. So my parents were extremely involved. You know, they would check grades. Um, it was a point I tried to hide my grades from them because like seeds was basically failing yeah. in my household. So I would try to hide my grades from my parents if I got a C or something. And they'll like come to my, my school to, to pull my grades. Parents was extremely involved. And that really, well, as a kid, is mostly out of fear. Like you don't want to do bad. So, you know, you're getting good grades because you don't get in trouble. But then when you get older, you realize that's now the standard I hold for myself. Mm-hmm. Involvement. Middle school, stuff like that. I wasn't really, middle school, I wasn't really involved. I ran track. Um, and then I ended up doing like, travel teams like going into high school but when i got to high school i did mock trial i was in a law program i was in national arms society i was in yearbook i was in student council like i was constantly doing stuff that my school offered and i and stuff that i either was fully wanted to be in or had some type of interest like, i even did drama for a little bit because like maybe i could be an actor you know you know i got humbled i got put in my place <laughs> but <laughs> I found out it wasn't for me. It wasn't. It was there. <laughs> you know, that's all. That's that's what it's for. I'm in high school. I had to learn early. And then what was the third one? You said parents involvement, involvement. extracurriculars, and uh, encouragement of the interest of higher education. Okay, and then that, that goes back to the 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 magnet programs I was saying early, talking about earlier, where they're literally grooming you to whatever higher education. There's literally there was um. Like edu- um teachers teachers academy uh pre education like for like little kids there was the medical academy biomedicine like biochemistry academy um uh, now they've added the like I think of like a fire academy like type of thing like my school added all these magnet programs which literally groomed you not really groomed you but ex- exposed you to these different fields that you say you're interested in. And mm-hmm. it allowed you to be in these different spaces. Like Law Academy, we did mock trials. We did youth court. I was literally able to argue a case. Like it was, So the kids, basically, they admitted that they did it. So we were arguing how bad their punishment should be. And it was like little civil cases. It was used like school punishment, stuff like that. But in high school, we were able to argue, literally play role of attorneys to argue how much like um, someone, the student, should be punished. Mm-hmm biomedics medicine like they literally took them to the hospitals like they exposed them they, they taught them how to draw blood when we had blood drives the students were the ones in there helping the nurses and stuff draw blood mm-hmm. like that's the type of stuff that literally pours you like all right bet you either know i want to do this as a career or you know i don't want to be a lawyer i don't want to be in medicine and now i have the opportunity to not waste four years of college to mm-hmm. on these different things and it's sad because like it's so many schools even within that school there are so many students who didn't get the opportunity it's so i think there's there's levels to this right it's one thing to be exposed and it's one thing to be told that you can do something Mm -hmm. but even deeper than that if how your school is structured isn't tailoring to your learning capabilities yeah Mm-hmm. You're, you still won't be able to achieve, right? So even thinking about the idea of, let's use Common Core. So Common Core is pretty much standards within math and English that students should be able to do for each school year, K through 12. And I think that was introduced like 2010-ish. 
But that put a lot of pressure on teachers to be able to teach to the test, which mm-hmm. is why a lot of kids aren't able to think critically because they're thinking for the test. Anywho, within that, because there's pressure for them to teach to the test, a lot of times teachers have this one way of providing information for their students. So they came up with this term called differentiation, which allows them to be able to reach students who are at the lower level, along with those at the higher level, through either having um, different ways of explaining material, different sorts of activities, whether it's um, worksheets or like group activities, where they're placed within the classroom. Like There's so many different ways to reach students at different levels. But I feel like one of the main things when it comes to differentiation and being able to teach to the test that is not really addressed is the different manners in which we learn, whether it's I'm more like tactile or kinesthetic or I'm more visual, I'm more auditory. Most teachers only get up there with a PowerPoint and mm-hmm. and speak. And then not only that, a lot of times major- the teacher is doing the majority of the talking, but uh, we learn more from our peers. So if you just gave me an opportunity to be able to teach little little baby how to do X, Y, and Z versus you standing up there trying to teach it to me, it's not going to hit the same way. So being able to allow children to have the freedom and the autonomy, the authority to be Mm -hmm. able to teach each other also reaffirms their confidence. Like, okay, I got this. I can do this. The middle school I worked in, um, they, they didn't do differentiating learning in the same class. They separated the classes by, so, so like I said, I worked with eighth grade. So they did 801, 802, 803, 804. And the sections, I guess, was the students in the sections was based off their test scores from the previous year. So all the lower performing scooter students was in 801. Then progressively, you know, the higher performing ones was in whatever. So like on and on. So 801 low is 802 higher, a little higher, da, 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 on and on and on. And they taught based off of that. So mm-hmm. the higher level students, they they were able, able to get that autonomy. They were able to do like small groups and work together and stuff like that. While mm-hmm. the lower ones, um, they like the teacher really wouldn't trust them to do small groups or they wouldn't. The teachers wouldn't really like give them that autonomy. The teachers felt like they literally had to sit with them and do whatever. And the most heartbreaking part of it all was the kids knew what their section meant. They knew mm-hmm. if I was in it. I used to have to fight my, basically fight my kids, like, who's like, I'm an 801, I'm dumb. No, you're not dumb. Like, they literally, but why am I 801? That's not, you're an 801 because it, it was hard to explain to them to, like, in a way to, for them not to feel dumb. But is I was just, I tried to find different ways. It's like, y'all are just in the classes because y'all function well together. Or, like, I'll try to find a different way to frame it. Because the way that it was framed for them is because you scored this, you're in this section with all these other kids who also scored this, and the kids literally felt dumb. And it used to break my heart because it's like, I don't, I, I can't, that's a barrier now. That's now a new barrier. I have to teach you one that you're not dumb. I have to give you the confidence to do the work. And then I have to teach you the work on top of all of that. Now I got two things. <laughs> okay, so my first thing was, Were they placed in these classes based off of their test scores from the previous year? Yes. Like standardized testing? Yes. Standardized testing. (laughs) So the FSA. Yes. FSA, whatever the standardized testing. um, Well, you know, Florida's FSA. 
FSA, and then they also, I think they used their um, Lexile and from, like, Achieve, and they also used that as, like, a basis, whatever. So if a kid had, a, if a kid didn't score well on his, let's say he had, like, a 2 or, like, a 3, but his Lexile yeah. was high, they will put him in a higher class because that's, like, all right, at that test, he might just have not done well or whatever. So they might have put him, like, in the mid-level classes just to see, like, what they can do. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Because standardized testing, so, all of them. Is is the biggest trap. It's the biggest... Like, you already know you're going to fail yeah. before you get in. <laughs> um, so, I wish I had the year that um, standardized testing first started. But it was created by a man by the name of Frederick Kelly and... Um, the reason that it was created was there was a shortage of teachers during, I believe, World War One, And there was a huge influx of students being pushed into the schools because at, around this time they were, schools were originally invented to help push people towards working within factories. And America needed more kids within the factory. So the best way to teach them how to be able to function within that realm was to have them within education. And the way that they kind of assess whether they were ready to move on was through standardized testing. And the inventor, in his own words, said, these tests are too crude to be used and should be abandoned. Mm -hmm. Now, this is back during the World War. We now in 2020, these tests are still being used. So to think that he himself understood the the pressure, the unrealistic expectations that came with these tests, yet we're still using it today. What does that really say about our education system? So recently, with the whole with COVID and then um, there's been a debate in regards to law school, whether law students should have to sit for the bar um, with covid going on so there's some bar associations that are doing um sort like apprenticeships and like uh diplomas basically like you graduate you do your apprenticeship then you could like you have your bar card and then there are some who are trying to, there's a lot of mess going on in regards to the, to the bar and like some of them doing virtual i seen i seen a videos of like someone trying to do their virtual and it literally kept shutting down mid test mid this is the yeah. bar exam the exam that like law students work three hard years for to to learn how to take to be able to go practice. Um, then you have some people who are still like some states are still are like doing in person bar exams despite the the danger of COVID itself. Uh, so it's been a really the bit debate. But within this debate, I've seen the term gatekeeper and how these standardized tests are tools like our gatekeepers from not allowing just anybody or not allowing specific classes of people to be able to get into these to these professions and that goes back to even the LSAT is one very expensive to take so is the bar but both these tests are very expensive to take and neither of them are skill based <laughs> like there's I think for the bar there's only one part of the test that's actually skill based that to show you like like how it's like writing it's called the mpt but it's like it's writing specific different types of of i guess legal writing but that's like it's a skill so that's a skill-based part of the test but majority of the test is literally answering the questions else that is literally not skill-based you do not learn like it's strategy you have to learn how to play games and then apply it for the test you don't use it in law school but these tests are gatekeepers because everyone standardized tests are, is not made for 
everyone. They're made for mm-hmm. the for the people who they feel like can can complete these tests. And that goes for mm-hmm. IQ tests. That goes for MCATs, GREs, any type of standardized test. Even back like in Florida, back when we had the FCAT and the whole no child left behind. These are all tests that were literally served as gatekeepers for students who were not who they did not want to be have this give access they didn't want to give these bodies of students these bodies of populations access to these different realms professions higher education or opportunities in general that will help them become successful with the rest of being come now to be able to compete mm-hmm. they do not want them to be now become competition for the other students and taking jobs spots it's like spots in colleges and all this stuff because apparently there's, there's only so much access and opportunity available out in the world. Mm-hmm. Everything that you just said <laughs> is so beautifully and eloquently depicted in a spoken word mm-hmm. piece that was also a video that we watched to prepare for this. And it's this man suing the education system. Like literally, like it looks like they're in trial and he's yeah. presenting evidence to the jury. And something that he said was a quote by Albert Einstein, which says, everybody is a genius. And he went on to explain, but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing it's stupid. That's what these standardized tests are doing. We're we're creating unrealistic, unreachable. Well, it's not unrealistic because there are people who are able to, Mm -hmm. to... get perfect scores on these tests but it's just it's not designed it's not designed for everyone to be able to achieve and excel within it with the resources and opportunities that is presented amongst schools across the united states and to think that school the very first public school in the united states um was in 1635 right and i already said that it started School originally was to help teach people how to function within factories. But there are a lot of similarities and consistencies that are still in place from school. The fact that education itself really hasn't evolved over time is a huge issue given the fact that the world is continuing to evolve around us. Oh, I have such a perfect comparison. Last year, I was a part of this leadership type of group I guess you could say and one of the people in my group he was incarcerated for oh I don't remember how long it was at this time 15 20 years or so it was it was an extended period of time and he said <laughs> he said once he was back in in as a citizen as a, in society he saw people walking down the street and they were talking to themselves. He was like, is everybody like, I thought everybody was a crackhead. Cause that's what I saw around me. You know, the crackheads were the ones that talked to themselves, but he didn't realize that technology had evolved to a point where we're able to have wireless headphones. We're able to communicate with people via screens. Like there's so many different things that had changed from the time that he first went into incarceration to the time that he was released and to think about education itself being stagnant and being stuck in this one spot Damn. while the world is evolving. We out here looking like everybody like, dang, y'all must be crackheads because y'all able to <laughs> achieve these, these, these heights. Whereas within my school, like we've been teaching the same curriculum, using the same books, using the same mm-hmm. resources for however many years. There should be no reason that as 
us as a society is evolving that we're not pouring into these children more. Just imagine like the the different inventions and things that people could do if we elevated the standard of education as time continued. Even in the video, he depicted that in regards to like he had a picture of a camera um, of or like a phone from an old school phone and they had a picture of a new, like a newer phone. He had a picture of an old car, a new car. He depicted that same type of imagery. And of course, education, the classroom looks exactly the same. And I don't know, like my time in the classroom was very special because it gave me the freedom. I was, I was given the freedom. I was trusted enough to get the freedom and the flexibility to do what I wanted to do in my, in the classroom, in the, in the space I was able to. So like, whether it was, I'm, my, my my kids gonna be playing basketball to answer questions. Whether it's going to be like my kids gonna be standing up, or we're, we're they're sitting down in certain different lines, or we're in a circle having conversations. I was given the freedom and flexibility to do that with the small number of kids I was trusted with, right? Because in this when in the job, you're given a focus list of kids. Yes, even though you're a focus list, you still pick up kids. Majority of the time in our small groups, we have what about five to ten kids at a time. That's a luxury versus with like adults i mean like full teachers have classrooms full of 30 like 30 something kids and a lot of people like to blame teachers a lot of like teachers teachers should be able to do this teachers should be able to you know add this to their curriculum and da 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 but when you're not in that space it's very hard for you to understand because if you have a classroom full of 30 kids no help a very limited curriculum and a very limited time period that you have to be able to hit certain benchmarks by or your literal job depends like depends on this you have to move a certain way. It's very special teachers. Yes, there are examples of teachers who are going like beyond, like above and beyond and able to like do these different, very innovative, different way, like te- ways of teaching. But it's rough. It's hard. And, and every school doesn't give that teacher that flexibility. I remember working with my partner teacher, literally the district sitting there in the in the room with her, just watching her teach. And make sure that she's doing it the way that they taught her how to teach. Mm-hmm. Even though these kids, like I s- said, are in different sections. And they want her to teach the same lesson differently for each of the sections. So you acknowledge that the kids learn differently with amongst the different sections. But you won't acknowledge that the kids learn differently within that same section. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and also, you're not acknowledging the hindrance that it's having on the kids that, you, that are in that section. By trying to only give them one type of food. D- oh, hmm. Okay. I, I don't know what you just said, but it literally just clicks for me. So within schools, usually for students that have behavior issues or or um, mm-hmm. um, different like processing or learning disorders or whatever the case may be, they have some sort of disability where they aren't able to learn at the same standard as other students. However you want to word it. All of these in quotations. Yes. All, yes. All there was an eye roll with that too. There was a huge eye roll. in quotations. Um, they created these um ieps which is what in is it independent or individual individual education plan and i've seen it both both? okay so individual education plan and 504 plans which i think is usually just for behavior but a lot of students use that i don't want to say as a crutch but they understand that they have they've been diagnosed they understand that that someone has told them that they've been diagnosed as some yes and that because of this, I get catered to in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, students may have a printout of the PowerPoint where they're able to take notes on that. Or they may require someone to read the test to them whenever they're taking tests. They may require one-on-one interaction, small group interaction. But 
why are students only afforded those luxuries? Because that is a luxury. Yeah. Why are they only why are they only given those luxuries when they are deemed needing more assist assistance? Whether I mean rather than that just being an overall standard for their classroom as a whole. Because one IEPs don't do not get um, updated as often as they truly need to be. Because there was a kid that I worked with who had an IEP for stuttering. He had a really bad stutter, and it um it affected the way that he was able to process what he read. Because even he would read like even when he read to himself, he would stutter. So it it affected his processing. But by the eighth grade, he no longer had a stutter because he like he had a speech therapist. Like he was able to go to a speech therapist. He was able to like do different things that was in implement in the school that allow him to learn how to cope it like kind of outgrow his stutter but mm-hmm. he's so he no longer is in that need anymore like his iep it hasn't been updated so he was conflict, he was literally conflicted like he was in a higher level class because he was performing high level but he still had an iep so he was still, still getting pulled out of class versus i had another student who had a similar situation had a stutter had an iep for his stutter he literally told me, he's like, I can't do this. I'm dumb. Because mm. all he understood is that he had an IEP. Right. He didn't understand. And it literally said IEP learning learning disability. So he told me when he's like, I have a learning disability. And it, I was stuck because, like, you have this situation going on, which makes it, a le- you have a legitimate reason why it um you struggle with being able to do certain things. But just because you struggle with it don't mean you can't do it. And all you need now is to be able you need that time that space the opportunity to be able to slow it down break it down but i would sit and read him one-on-one sometimes you know i would let him struggle with it on his own now the student's got a 3.5 gpa going into his junior year so we can't say anything about how like how these iep plans are limiting students they limit them like mentally what they feel like they can do but also babying them by pouring these, these different opportunities when that's these luxuries should just be a norm in the classroom Mm -hmm. i always compare what i've seen in the classroom being able to work with education to what i experienced as a student being Mm -hmm. that i went to montessori and anytime that we had something where we like little stuff i remember being in music if we had the the lyric like if we had to learn the lyrics or something Mm -hmm. we got a piece of paper with the lyrics on it if we were in a group that required us to read something. We got a piece of paper with the words on it. <laughs> if we were doing something like hands-on, I remember we did something with some type of like gooey stuff. I don't know what we were doing with it, but we were broken into those small groups so that we could all had access to it. I remember us, a veterinarian came in one day and they were t- talking about surgery. We all got little sponges and like little like pieces of thread and a needle. We all like sew together our sponges. Like we are depriving these children of their creativity, of their independence, of their self-confidence by allowing them to say, oh, I have a learning disability. I have an IEP. I'm unable to do these things because that's what someone else told me that I can't mm-hmm. do. Um, and I'm trying not to get mad. <laughs> and the thing is, and we're not saying this to, to make to say that these IEPs are not legitimate because um, right. I've also like now working within like on the juvenile law side, I've had cases where we had to pretty much like the parent wants to sue the school because the school wasn't following the IEP plan, but they were punishing him. So the kid, had, the kid had ADHD 
and so he was hyperactive, but that was in his IE IE uh, people, right? So it was said that he was hyperactive. Um, it literally limit like gave strategies of how to work with the student. He was in elementary school. I think he was like in third or fourth grade. But he they gave different strategies in like uh to do certain things to encourage certain behavior. So like you know if he's doing good, be able to acknowledge his good. Give him not necessarily a treat, but but basically like kind of encouraging that good behavior. So even though he struggles with it because he has ADHD and you know has he's hyperactive, he will be encouraged to do it because he sees the benefit of it. Like mm-hmm. so that's a part of his plan, but his plan was not being followed, and he was being punished. He was getting referrals. He was getting sent out of class. All of these different things that is an issue is going on his record, but. Literally, all the things that he was like getting in trouble for was stuff that was in his IEP plan. Not he was talking too much. Hyperactivity got a referral for it in his IEP plan. Like things that was literally in his plan was stuff that he got referral for. And the way that mm-hmm. Houston School District is here, when a student is leaving from one school trying to transfer another, they have to be approved to go into that school. And there's different mm-hmm. marks and criteria. So when that other school looks up and seeing that this kid had this many referrals in this time period, they're not going to accept him coming transferring to their school because now i see a, a troubled kid right a, a pattern mm-hmm. you see a pattern i have a troubled kid you have all these referrals you got kid out of class as many times that i die which all could have been avoided if you literally had a plan in front of you that told you i do x y and z a b and c to help this child benefit and be like to succeed in these spaces mm-hmm. which goes into the punishment gap that like like it goes to the punishment gap in regards to like black kids, black and brown kids are punished harshly more often, and how these punishments affect their their access to different opportunities later on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We've talked about the achievement gap being referred to as just that the achievement gap and the opportunity gap, but there are people who are who refer to it as the punishment gap, and um, one of the articles that we mm-hmm. looked into for this. Is literally titled The Punishment Gap, School Suspension and Racial Disparities in Achievement. And within that, there was a study conducted by Morris and Perry, which states that 20% of the differences in academic achievement between races is a result of students being suspended from school. But if we've already talked about that, a lot of the time students are being suspended because of behaviors that are in their IEP, mm-hmm. behaviors that are deemed appropriate for their age, their cognitive abilities. They are being targeted by teachers, whatever the case may be. If we already understand that there's a discrepancy in how punishment is uh, distributed among students, how could we not tie that in when we're talking about their ability to achieve? We've already said in the episode that suspension was an adult reaction to childlike behavior. Because a lot of things that Mm -hmm. kids get suspended for is literally for doing childish things. Or even referrals. Right. And then, like, for example, with, this, that, the, with, with our client, his parents wanted him to send him to, a, to another school, which would be able to, like, afford him these different benefits, follow his IEP plan. He would been, that's an opportunity to do better, right? That's the opportunity for him to get his, his education, his, you know, his whatever needs and his resources that he might have. Like, that was opportunity to do that. But now his punishments, his records, mm. is blocking him from this opportunity, Right now, he has to go back to the school that was not doing him right the first time, in the first place. So it mm-hmm. it is the gap is literally being extended because I'm gonna punish you 
I'm going to give you these punishments. I'm going to give you these lashes. I'm going to give you these markings. So if you try to go somewhere else, you have a record now. And this record shows what type of student you are. This record shows what, how much resources should be poured into you and what spaces that you should be allowed into. Mm-hmm. Children are so much smarter than we give them credit for. And if you remember in a previous episode, I was talking about when it comes to punishment and rewards, a lot of times students make correlations between what is presented to them rather than understanding the why behind certain actions. So in that situation where the child is being seen that I'm going to be punished at this school. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to learn. Like, I'm going to get punished for being me. Yeah. Being being myself. I'm not going to learn at the same rates of these students because the teacher doesn't like me. I'm being mm-hmm. targeted. Whatever the case may be, they are literally receiving the message that I am unworthy of someone taking the time to really work with me. Nobody wants me. Mm-hmm. And... So many students are receiving that message loud and clear from different avenues and different levels of the education system. And it's being reflected in how they're performing within the classroom. And it's just, that's part of the reason why I'm scared to be a teacher and I'm scared to be a parent because I understand the responsibility of that role. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you are literally cultivating the mind of the future. And yeah. if you don't take it seriously and you're not aware of your actions, your thoughts, your words, you are going to be sending a message that you had no intention of sending. And it's so deeply internalized. And it's it goes with almost any actually no it goes with every and any interaction you have with youth. Whether it be a tutor, mm-hmm. whether it be a mentor, you know, you come into class just to read all of these the way that you act and interact with these students in these spaces, no matter how limited, is literally lasting. Because mm-hmm. now we have students, now let's, all right, despite all of this, right, despite you not being able to get the proper resources that you need because, you know, someone might not follow your IEP plan or there's not enough resources in the classroom, you know, teachers over overburdened, despite all of whatever, you, you graduate and you decide, I still want to go to college. Because college or the military, these... A lot of Title One schools, like the two realms that you're taught to be successful, college, military, which is why all these recruiters go to these uh, black neighborhoods and black schools and getting all these black kids. All right, so we, you got these two realms, right? So let's say you, like, you're going to college. You made up your mind that I want to go to college. Cool. Despite what the school says, you weren't really prepped academically to to go into these spaces. Um, if you're a first generation college student. Now you don't have the that background, that family support. You might, your family will support you in regards to like wanting you to go, wanting you to succeed, but support you. They it's hard for them to support you in understanding what that experience looks like, and un- like fully understanding like what these realms and just that new space of college feels like. And then if you don't have the those the extracurricular and all that stuff, you don't have these now these new skills or these additional skills that these people, other people in college might have. All these things are gatekeepers, right? So now you, you found a way over the gate. You jumped the gate. You slid through an opening, whatever. Despite the, the woes of your your primary schooling, you make it to college. First-generation college student. The struggle in between that transition of being like in that space into college that I've seen in so many of my friends, m- myself, my own story in regards to being a first-generation college student, it's so hard. And I've seen so many people struggle with that that transition that first year they do so bad academically 
that their rest of their collegiate career is them trying to make up for, for how bad they did that first year. And mm-hmm. it's sad because we, 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 we told you to get in this space, right? We preach you to be in these spaces, but we ain't trained you to, to succeed in these spaces. We didn't like prepare you for these spaces. And it's not many colleges that also have spaces that help foster growth within for first-generation college students. Mm-hmm. Taking that a step further, for the people who are able to go to college as their first generation mm-hmm. and they graduate, a lot of the times like, okay, I, I did it. Now what? what? Yeah. Like, I, I did what you told me to do. I'm here. What do I do now? No one ever talks about what's next. There's so many levels mm-hmm. of transition that is never discussed. Yeah. And it's just because, like, who do you talk to at that point? Really, like, who do you right. talk to? So Florida State University has this amazing program called Center for Academic Retention and Enhancement. Sure, for care. But it's, it's a first-generation, like, college student program. You apply as a way to be admitted to students, but it's specifically for students who are first-generation. And they have counselors. They have, like, depending um, on, like, guidance counselors. They have some support staff. They have tutoring they have um, mentors, like you have your care ambassadors who are like your mentors when you, you come in through a sum, like the summer bridge program. So you have a summer of really being trained and coached up. And then throughout the rest of your academic career, you have to center the space for yourself to really be fostered and poured into and loved by these these people. And FSU is such, that's the one thing, you know, FSU screws up in a lot of spaces, a lot of different things. They do good by care. Well, care does good by Florida State. So, <laughs> so for care being in, be able to have be on campus and like to offer opportunities for these students. I don't know if they still do it, but there was a point with it. Like, if you got into care, you got a full ride. Um, you just have to like finish your 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 summer bridge program, and you you know the rest of your schooling is paid for. These opportunities are so amazing, and it needs to be a common practice for colleges and universities to have these centers and spaces for first-generation students to maybe come in and then succeed. On the flip side, I would say because of the... Uh, there's other things that play into this, but mm-hmm. I think that a lot of things are rooted within education and the home environment. One end, you have... You doubt yourself, but on the other end, once you achieve that idea of impo- imposter syndrome, like yeah. because it's been spoken over you for so long that you're not supposed to be here, you're not supposed to achieve these heights you get into spaces where you are excelling you are achieving and you're doing well for yourself and you start to question like dang am I supposed to be here or or you aren't accrediting your success in those spaces to you actually putting in the work like I remember my freshman year of college I auditioned for one of the musicals and they only really casted people who were musical theater or acting majors I'm a psychology major (laughs) But I was casted. And that entire time throughout the show, I kept saying, oh, yeah, I'm only here because I need the black people. We were doing ragtime and I was a part of the Harlem Ensemble. And I was like, yeah, I'm only here because I need the black people. Not realizing that there were other black people who auditioned and didn't make it. I was there because I deserved to be mm-hmm. there. And there's so many instances where we're in places where we deserve to be there but because we can't see it for ourselves or we don't see our own worth we don't see how hard we've worked to get to these different spaces we can't appreciate it and something that I'm working on trying to tell myself is something that my pageant dad told me he was like you're undeniable 
But you have to believe it for yourself. Every time you walk into a room, you have to say that you belong there, you deserve to be there, and it's mm-hmm. undeniable that you are supposed to be in that space. So I'm undeniable, you're undeniable. And I'm telling you all, you're undeniable, be undeniable, mm-hmm. walk undeniably because you're here for a purpose and you have to believe in yourself in order to, to in reach all heights. In all this fullness, all of that, yes. in all of the fullness, with all of everything that we said, um, we there that's a beautiful note to like to end on and to wrap up on because yes things are stacked against us yes it's hard but that is not enough to stop the greatness that's already been implanted to you so like with every every um episode you know we have a question earlier both uh brie and myself we discuss our influences of and throughout our education system, you know, she talked about her mother being a psychologist. I talked about the different programs in my map in the magnet program. So we want to ask you, dear audience, what is the biggest influence on your education throughout your upbringing? So, you know, leave it in the comments. You could DM us, you know, just let us know. Like always, we want to know, we want to read, we want to learn from you and really share into this bigger experience of what education is. So we can also be equipped to change it when it's time. Because, you know, when I opened my school in however many years, <laughs> we... <laughs> you ain't there yet. We, I don't, yeah, no. There's <laughs> a gap that needs to be filled first. <laughs> so with all of that being said, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Thank you for sticking with us. We love you all. And... Without further ado, if there are no more questions, comments, or concerns, all hearts and minds are clear. We will see you on the next episode of Higher Unlearning. Peace. I got, I got, I got, I got loyalty, got loyalty inside my feet.